Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. All right, Matthew chapter 16. We have been diving into, and I'm going to do my best to wrap up today. I do not want to go into um, next week with this. Uh, but we're going to do our best to wrap up. We've been talking now for about four or five weeks, I think it is, on identity, the identity of man and understanding who you are in Christ. Um, the most important thing you should discover, the most important thing you should find out about you when you come into the kingdom and when you're born again is not how to get to heaven, not how to be a good person. Uh, finding a good church is important, but all of this should be pointing you toward who are you and who are you now that you have been born again. I mean, we use that term so loosely, we don't even think about the words that we're saying, born again. If I'm born again, then there's a whole lot of learning that needs to happen. If I'm born again, there's a discovery, there's a journey that I'm going on. And uh, I've told you before, in fact, I had someone recently ask me, you know, they, they, they said, I know someone just got born again. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, what are some good books uh, to help them out? You know, what, what, what can I get them started with? And so I said, well, there's Ephesians. Um, that's, an, that's probably the number one place I would start. Um, after that, I would go to Colossians. Um, after that, I'd go to Galatians. Um, and they're like, yeah, I, I, that's the Bible. I'm, I'm talking about like, book. like, what do you want me to tell you? Like, you want something better than the Bible? You know, but this is where we live. This is, you know, they want commentaries and they want, you know, some New York Times bestseller. And, uh, you know, this is the one book no one's been able to get rid of yet. Um, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it may not, you know, be on your Amazon Prime list or whatever, uh, but it is the most important book. And when you come into the kingdom, it's the only place you're going to find out who you really are. It's amazing the places that we go. And this is what I tell people is you need to find out who you are before someone else tells you who you are. <laughs> right? The world is going to real quick in the natural to tell you who you are, but you'll find Churches are real fast to try to tell you who you are. And so it goes the same even in our spiritual nature. We need to find out who we are. We need to find out what we have. You need to find out what belongs to you. You need to find out what potential you have. So it might not be this yet, but this is where you could be. This is where we are, are going and growing. This is what we want to become. All these things are paramount, not just our natural life, but also our supernatural life. And so we need to make every effort to uh, discover these things. And so we started, we had to start with the thought of deception because every identity crisis known to man is, uh, 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 it begins with deception. It begins with a reality that's been altered, okay? So just because reality is reality doesn't mean you live reality. You live the perception of your reality. You live what you think reality is. You live, and if the enemy can twist that even just a little bit, then you will not live out the full 
functioning purpose that God designed for you. You were created in his image. You were created in his likeness. But why aren't we achieving that? Because somewhere along the line, it's been distorted. It's been diluted. It's been twisted. It's been perverted. It's been, you know, run through. And by the time it gets to us, we're just left with this broken down, doing the best I can for Jesus, hoping one day for him to come through the glory cloud so I can finally go and be with him. Let me tell you something. If exiting this earth is the only answer to receiving the full life that God promised us, Jesus is not your savior. Death is. If that's the only way you can achieve what God has promised you in your word, in his word, then apparently Jesus didn't do enough. Apparently all the suffering and all the nails and all the bleeding and all the torture and and all the mockery that he was subjected to wasn't enough to redeem us and restore us. And so I don't know about you, I just want to live the life that the Bible tells me to live and shows me that I can live, and I want to live out fully. And if I don't fully understand it yet, that's okay. I'm just going to keep pressing in until I do understand it. But I'm not allowing the enemy to to knock one tick off of what the Word says any longer. But he knows more than you. I said the devil knows more than you. He knows this Bible inside and out. Remember, he was in heaven with God. This is not foreign stuff to him. That's why it's, it's so, uh, you know, uh, demonic and, and, and demonizing that he has yet to follow and be submitted to God because he knows more about it than any of us do and still chooses not to. And so he wants to come in and everything I say, everything I preach, everything you see in the word, he wants to dilute it. He wants to distort it. He wants to pervert it. He wants to twist it because it's at his advantage if you don't ever discover what he knows about you. Your enemy hopes you never find out what he knows you're capable of. That's with any enemy. That's with, I mean, even in sports, you hope that they don't discover what they have. Because if they use their best weapon, you don't have a shot. And this is the bottom line. There there is no battle between God and the devil. Let's get that clear. The, The devil is not even God's enemy. He's not even on the table. This isn't like a waging war and one day God's gonna get victory. This thing was done from the beginning it was over. The enemy doesn't even know the fight he just picked. He doesn't even understand what he just stepped into. It's not close by um by any means. It's not even close. But yet you and I are not living victorious lives. You and I are not exhibiting the type of life that says, man, I'm so far, so much of an overcomer, this stuff can't even touch me. And when the world's in fear, the church is in fear. When the world's divorcing, the church is divorcing. When the world's walking in hatred, the the church is walking in hate. And we're, we're reflecting more of the world than we are the kingdom of God. It's a lost identity. It's an identity crisis. We're in the world. We're not of the world. And I want to find out, I want to be more aware of what I'm of than what I'm in. I'll say that again. I want to be more aware of what I'm of than what I'm in. Y'all with me? I want to be more aware of kingdom principles in my life than what the world has to offer me. It's let me down time and time again, and it's let you down too. 
but the kingdom will not. The word will not if we live according to what it says. So we got to go on a journey. This journey begins with uncovering deception. And you know, this is the crazy thing about deception. We said this in the first week, that the truth is obvious. Romans chapter one tells us that, man, God has, you can see God everywhere. Everything that is visible represents something that is invisible. God, God has gone over the top to show himself to you. Honestly, guys, it takes more work not to believe than to just believe. It, you know how much faith an atheist has to exhibit to say that there is no God? You know how much they have to look at and say, nah, it just happened. Like that takes way more faith than believe that there's a master orchestrator that's put all this thing, put all this stuff together and made it work the way that it works. It takes more work not to believe God's word than to just believe God's word. It takes more work to walk in deception than it does in truth. God has, God has not made truth a difficult thing, a complicated thing, an overwhelming thing. If it's overwhelming, it's because we're still too contaminated with the things of the world than we are with God, and it, we can't reconcile the two. We can't reconcile the two. We can't reconcile having peace in a pandemic. The world can't, but the kingdom can. Come on. The, the, the world can't reconcile the things that you and I are called to live naturally. They have to have a reason. They have to have an explanation. They don't understand. And this is where you and I get to exhibit the greatest trust and the greatest test of our faith to just simply believe God at his word. I'm not moved by what, it, what I see. I'm not moved by what it looks like. I'm not moved by how it sounds. Living that way. This is, a, this is a, another way of living that we're showing you. And that's why we've got to go on this journey of identity. And so we spent several weeks there talking about uh, deception. We said last week that the answer to deception is not information, it's revelation. So this is where people get lost. This is where people um, are, uh, you know, uh, they, they get messed up. They think, okay, well, I'm going to answer back to all of the enemy's deceptive tactics by just collecting data by just collecting information, if I can get enough podcasts, if I can get enough, uh, uh, you know, uh, commentaries, if I can get enough teachers, if I can get enough churches, if I can get enough, if I can go to enough of this. And God is saying, I, in, in one ounce of revelation, I can overwhelm what the world could give you in information. And I'm telling you, if you allow the world to inform you of who you are, then you're living at the mercy of what the world thinks about you. Because they will praise you one second and they will knock you down the next. Trying to collect your, inf trying to collect your identity from the information the world has to, this is why we wear clothes with name brands and shoes with name brands. And this is why we got to have the right vehicle and we got to have the right job and we got to have the right amount of money and we got to have the right position at the job. And, and we've got to have the right status on Facebook. I mean, you know, social media has shown us what you and I do uh, living for the approval of man, living to uh, appeal to and please 
man. And so we take a thousand photos because one of them, only one of them is going to make it on social media and it's going to be the best looking one. It's not going to be the funny looking one. It's not the one where you're yelling at everybody, telling them to hurry up and smile because it's hot out here. And why do we choose to take photos on a beach in khakis and a white dress shirt at the beach? Why don't we just take a family photo in a bathing suit because we're at the beach? Right? All the work we do to put off this image that everybody believes is the us, but we have taken on, when we do those things, we are operating like the devil. We are being deceptive because there's a reality and we want to alter the reality to change someone's perception of reality. Hello? So all this we do is chasing identity. When I, you know what I want? You know what I want you to know? Identity is chasing you. I said identity is chasing you. And we're so busy running after it. And it's saying, if you just stop for a moment, I'll show you who you are. If you just stop chasing all this stuff and stop chasing all these things and stop chasing all these people, I will show you who you are. And you'll never have to chase not another day in your life. You won't have to prove it. That's why we post stuff. We post stuff to prove stuff. <laughs> Our posts are, are, are proving of this is what my life looks like. It's identity. We're chasing identity. So last week we talked about who's your source. We said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If the word of God is not your source, then you are relying on the wrong source of information. And not every source can be believed. Not every source is going to point you in the right direction. Not every source has your best interest at heart. You know, some of us have sources that even when we're wrong, they will tell us we're right because they don't want to offend you. They don't want to hurt you. They don't want you to unfriend them. They don't want you to unfollow them. Come on. But we've got a Holy Spirit. He'll let you know gently, lovingly, but he'll let you know that ain't the way. Here's some conviction. Here's some conviction in your life. You know, shame and guilt are not the same thing. Y'all know that? Guilt is good. Because without feeling guilty, you'd never know you did something wrong. Now, shame is where you live. Shame is staying in the guilt. But here's the great thing about guilt is He uh, has promised, God has promised that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. But guilt is an indicator that I've sinned like a burning sensation on my hand is an indicator my hand is on a stove and I ought to remove it. See, we we, we, we avoid these things because we, we don't want, to associate that feeling. We don't want to, and and so we end up venturing and journeying in areas that God does not want us to live in. And we're looking for people, we're looking for churches sometimes, looking for pastors that will tell us that it's okay. Tell us that, you know what? We're all going to heaven anyways. Just do the best you can. You know, those those things are, 
are, you know, in these last days, those are not the type of words you want to be around. I'm just telling you right now. They are not preparing you. They are not equipping you. They are not strengthening you for what's coming. It's not. We don't need to feel better about doing wrong. (laughs) I mean, that's such an easy statement. I feel great because there is someone who has died and given his life that when I do wrong, I can be forgiven. I can be restored. I have been redeemed. But I will not take his grace and his work and his mercy as an excuse to prolong living separate from him. No. People who truly know who they are and walk in that identity do anything they can not to disobey and walk out of line with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Doesn't mean we get it right all the time, but you can usually tell uh, whose heart is in alignment by how quickly they respond in repentance and asking forgiveness. Sometimes we're a little slow to that. So in Matthew chapter 16, I ended up with, uh, I want you to go to verse 21, but just to give you a quick recap, in verse 13, Jesus came to his disciples and he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And of course, we know Jesus is not having an identity crisis. He's not concerned really with what people think about him in that sense. But he's trying to give them an exercise of who are you listening to and who are you yielding to? Because I'm getting ready to go to the cross in six months, and I need to know that you believe in me for who I am and not for what people are saying about me. And the people or some of his disciples respond, right? And they say, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist. And some say you're one of the prophets. And some say you're this and some say you're that. Again, that's information. They're just doing the best job they can to take an inventory of what they've seen in Jesus's life and then compare it to something they've already seen. And this is what the world does to you and I. The best the world can do is identify you on your past and your present. Information can only tell you what has happened or what is happening. I'll say that again. Information can only tell you what has happened or what is happening. They can define you as divorced. They can define you as black. They can define you as rich. They can define you as having a lot of money. They can define you as, well, he used to do this or they used to do that. They'll define you by your past and by your present, but only revelation can define you by your future. And you say, well, why is that important? Because if you want to be an Abraham, You're going to get called a father of many nations when you're 75 years old and married to someone that can't have kids. You want to be called the king of Israel, you're going to get picked out for that job and that assignment while you're shepherding sheep in a sheep field, in a pasture, the furthest thing from a king. You're not even in line to be king. You don't even belong to a royal family. You're the furthest candidate. You're going to be called to be a mighty man of valor when you're scared for your life in a bottom of a wine press, not pressing grapes, threshing wheat. 
You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh wheat outside in the open so the chaff can blow away. He's not exhibiting mighty man of valor qualities. Amen? He's not a candidate, naturally, by his past and by his present. But God picks you by your future. He speaks to what you're going to do. Now, that's why he picked a murderer of Christians to be the greatest candidate to lead Christians. (laughs) Oh, man, if we could just get this picture. You would never tell God no again. You would stop thinking, that's too big for me. You got the wrong person. There's no way I can do that. I'm not a candidate. I'm not skilled. I didn't go to the right school. I'm not, I'm, I'm not out from the right family. I don't make enough money. I've never done that before. All that vocabulary, all that verbiage goes out of your mouth and you say, yes, Lord. Because my identity is not by what the world can inform me of. My identity is by what God has already spoken of. See, this is why, this is why he told Jeremiah, in your mother's womb, I knew you. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. It's not in your mother's womb. It's before I formed you in, he went back to before man could put a label on it. Because when you're in the mother's womb, man can label it. Man can name it. Now you're going off information. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to go so far back that you can't even touch it. Before I formed you, I knew you. Two people got it. This is what we're talking about. Do you you literally just want to live from information alone? Do you want to live there? Oh, the world's got all kinds of labels for you. Divorced, broken, alcoholic, addict, slow, poor. Oh, they'll they'll come up with any label because labels create this, this box that we keep people in. And God's saying, I don't have, I don't have, I've, I've got labels that will bust you out of the box. Bust you out of man's box. And start experiencing the future that I have for you. The good things that I have for you. So in 14, they said, some say John the Baptist. In 16, Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded in verse 17 and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. What's he saying? That you have learned to get identity from the proper source. From heaven. This is the only book that can tell you who you are. This is the only book that can tell you what you can have. This is the only book. A doctor will not tell me what I can have. This book tells me what I can have. A banker will not tell me what I can have. This book tells me what I can have. And when you don't know the promises, you will start to live by the information of man rather than the revelation of the Spirit. This is why we're so urgent around here. You've got to be people of the word. You've got to be people of the world. If you think the devil is shaking in his boots because you come to church a few times a month and sit in an hour-long so service, even listening to me, he's not. He's thinking, man, they're hearers, are they doers? 
Oh, they're, they're excited. Oh, they're, they're shouting amen back. Oh, they're lifting their hands. Oh, they're rejoicing. Let's see what they look like on Monday morning. Will they pull that out on Monday morning? Will they recite it back to themselves on Monday morning? Will they write it down on Monday morning? Will they confess it on Tuesday morning? Will they declare it on Wednesday morning? Will they believe it with their whole heart on Thursday morning? He doesn't care what you do on Sundays. He's fine with this word staying contained to Sunday. He's perfectly okay with that. But man, he, he, he starts getting a little worried when Monday morning, oh, what, what are they reading? They're looking over their notes from yesterday? I, I, I didn't even know they took notes. Tuesday, they're reciting those scriptures. I mean, they're, they're, they're reading it to themselves. By Friday, they're speaking, they've memorized it. You mean they have the word down in the heart that they might not sin against God? Now he starts getting a little worried. Now he starts getting a little fearful. Why? Because it's become more than just religious practice. It's become more than just what I do on Sundays. It's revelation. Look at this in um, verse 21. Just got to show you this real quick because it's going to help us where we're going today. This is after Jesus uh, commends Peter for listening to the Holy Spirit. This was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by my, my spirit. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of, of heaven. And what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. He did that whole thing. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. This is the same Peter that just told Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that was revealed to him by the Holy. He submitted himself to the Holy Spirit to receive revelation from the King. But Jesus in verse 23 turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Look how fast he went from revelation by the Spirit to Satan. That's quick. He says, you are an offense to me. For you are not, watch this, mindful of the things of God, but the things of God. Of man. The New Living reads it this way Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. He says, Now you have subjected yourself to information again, to what man can tell you to what man can show you, to what man can prove to you. And he says, if you're going to live out of the natural, if you're going to live out of information, you're actually going to be blocking the plan that I'm trying to put in motion. I've asked this before, but I'll ask it again. Out of Peter and Judas, which one was Jesus's friend? 
And which one was Jesus's trap? In this moment, Peter, the friend of Jesus, proved to be a stumbling block to the plan that God had for Jesus by what? Subjecting his mind to information rather than yielding his heart to revelation. You're now receiving this from man's point of view, not God's point of view. And this is what we have to understand about this deception. This is what we have to under, it it, it can happen that quick. In one moment, you can believe you're a child of God. And in the next moment, you can believe that you're an enemy of God, that you're far from him, that I'm just a sinner. That's a false identity for a believer. And I know, I know where I'm at. I'm in South Georgia. That statement doesn't fly where I come from. If I were to make that statement, I'd be getting shouted down, amens, left and right. But maybe there's a few of you in this room who know what I'm about to say. But it's an unacceptable statement. You need to remove it from from your vocabulary. It is not biblical. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are a believer. You're a kingdom citizen. You are a child of God. You are greatness. You are royalty. And you cannot be both. So what do you identify as? Oh, we've heard that statement so so much lately, haven't we? What do you identify as? I'm going to give you a really hard statement, and I hope that you can accept it. There's a lot of identity confusion in the world today, naturally speaking. There's a lot of people that are one thing, but they're calling themselves another. And a believer that continues to call themselves a sinner is no different than a man that calls himself a woman. It's that real. Now, you know where the majority, I know where we we stand for the majority on gender confusion and and gender identity. It's garbage talk. doesn't even make sense. Make it make sense. You, you, You can't use science to back up one thing and then completely discredit science to back up, to, to, to refute the most simplest thing that we can all come to a conclusion of. But yet, spiritually, we're executing the same confusion. And I bring it that hard because it's that real. Because the believer that acts like a sinner a believer that lives thinking with the mindset, I'm still a sinner. Well, Pastor Mark, you know, I I still sin from time to time. Well, can you bark like a dog? But it don't make you a dog. Hello? Now, if you are a practicing sinner, then you're not a practicing believer. I said, if you're a practicing sinner, go read the Bible. Those who practice. 
what happens with practice? What, when you practice what? Practice gets perfect. You get good at it. How do you know if you're practicing sin? Because you're really good at it. If you sin and the first thought to your mind is to justify it or reason it out, or then we're, we're, we're practicing better than we think we are. But if you sin and the first thought is, oh man, that, ooh, that, that right there. Yeah, that, I shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have said it. Father, I, 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 I repent right now. I should not have gone that route. It's a hard issue, I know. It, it, it's on the inside, I know. We, we, we have this idea that in church and in Christian uh, Christianity that we, we can't call out if they are, if they aren't. But, you know, Jesus was very clear. You can tell a tree by its what? Fruit. And if it bears the fruit, it's got the root. And we got to work on the root. Y'all with me? I don't got my amen row down here, so I got, y'all, y'all need to pick up the pace or something. I was getting shouted down last week, information and revelation, and now we're talking about, you know, spiritual confusion. You're like, oh, wait a minute. That's okay. I'll preach when it's quiet. I'll preach when it's loud. It makes no difference to me. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth, because the truth is what will set you free. See, the truth sets you free. Salvation doesn't set you free. I got saved. I was born again. I prayed. I was baptized. Didn't set you free. Not if you're still believing deceptive lies. It does not say salvation will make you free. It says truth will make you free. So let's receive the truth. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. So notice the first statement, since you have been raised to Christ, have been raised to new life with Christ. That is a statement of something that has happened. Now, if there's anyone in this room that has not, that cannot relate to that statement, you have not been raised to new life with Christ. I'll give you an opportunity at the end of this service to get raised to new life with Christ, to receive the kingdom life, to come into the kingdom, to be born again. Let me just see by a show of hands, everyone that is born again. If you don't raise your hand, you're coming down later. Okay. But you can't lie either. You have to come down for that too. Born again. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the church at Colossae. And he says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, done deal. That's a, that, that's, we're already there. That's not something you can do. That's something he did for you. By your faith, but by his grace. I didn't accomplish it. I didn't make it. I wasn't good enough. I didn't get it all together. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't read enough scripture. I didn't go to enough services. By his grace, 
by my faith, believing in the, the, the saving, redemptive work of Jesus. I've been raised to new life with Christ. But that's not the end. Many people just stop right there. Now he has instructions for those raised to new life in Christ. What are those instructions, Paul? Set your sights on the what? Realities. That's what we've been talking about. There's perception and there's reality. And he says, if you've been raised to new life with Christ, you're not done yet. You won't live the new life with Christ until you set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. This is what he just got done. Jesus got done telling Peter. You're not thinking about things from God's viewpoint. You're thinking about them from man's viewpoint. So he tells me this, I've been raised to new life with Christ, but that doesn't mean I'm aware of the new life with Christ. That doesn't mean I have a perception. That doesn't mean I'm living the full reality. I've got some work to do. He says, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Didn't didn't we just make that statement? I want to be more aware of where I'm of than where I'm in, right? I want to be more aware of heaven than the earth. How do I get there? I'm going to set my mind. Set your sights on the realities. Some have just settled for, well, you know, I'm raised with new life. But you will not experience it and you will not see the fruit of it until you set your sights on heaven's realities. This is what it says in verse 3. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When you crucify something, it does not survive. Paul uses this death in life terminology over and over. Now, Jesus gave us the natural. You and I don't have to do the natural death. Jesus did it for us. He was the sacrifice that did it for us. He did it once and for all. You don't need to go on a cross. You don't need to go put nails in your hands. You don't need to go be tortured in your body. Jesus paid the price once and for all that you and I should have paid. And he did it for us. But now, Paul says, there is still some dying that needs to take place. There's still some crucifying that needs to happen. Not naturally, but now spiritually. Jesus did it naturally so you and I could do it spiritually. Jesus died so that you and I could live. Hello. And not just live any old measly life. Jesus did not do all that he did so I could barely get by. (laughs) 
Now, this is, I'm just going to go ahead and confront this right now. The reason why we don't like hearing that stuff is because now I become responsible for living a life of exceedingly abundantly. We, living a life barely making it by, bare minimum, not cutting it, that's easy. Anybody can do that. You don't even have to work at that. But we don't want a word of responsibility. We don't want a word of, wait, what did the doctor say? No, no, no. I believe that that's got to go in the name of Jesus. We'd rather just live, well, you know, let's see what they can do medically. Let's just pass that off on the doctor. And then there's the next tier of Christians that say, well, I'll pray to God about it and if it's his will. Like that's any more spiritual than the previous one. No, God has delegated you the authority and the power to stand on anything that doesn't align with his word. And the reason we don't know that is because we don't know our identity, we don't know our authority, we don't know our assignment, we don't know what we have, we don't know what we possess. So I understand this might be a little harder to receive today, and I'm just believing by the Holy Spirit that he'll drill this down to you and get this into you. And I'm going to give you some help today at the end of this service to help you with this. And for those of you that already know where I'm going and what I'm saying, I need to hear you today. I need you pulling on the anointing. I need you drawing on the word because this is what the enemy wants locked up. So can I get an amen? Okay. Praise God. It's not enough to know your identity. You have to carry your identity. I dare you to go to the airport and try to get on a plane and say, ah, oh, you know, I left my license at the house. Oh, you got a passport? No, man, you know, that's, that's in the safe at the house too. I'm Mark Brady though, I promise you, I'm, I'm, I'm Mark, I'm, I'm him. I mean, it, so when the devil comes talking you out of your stuff, and we can't show him our identity, we just say, oh, I'm a believer, I'm, I'm Christian, I'm saved. Show it to me. What's your ID? You got to carry it. This is how we get there. He says, you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. With Christ. Everyone say that. Say with Christ in God. With Christ in God. The New King James actually reads it this way, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ uh, in God. It actually reads the same exact way that I just read, so that didn't help me out at all. Which one? I'm looking for it. Where am I looking for it? Here we go. The Passion Translation. Give it to me in the Passion Translation. Verse 3 in the Passion Translation. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. Yeah, there we go. And now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in him, in him, in whom, in Christ appears in the New Testament through Paul's revelation over 130 times, of course, based upon what translation of the Bible you're reading, it's got different alternatives for it. In Christ, in him, in whom? 
Paul used this terminology over 130 times. Of those 130, about 35 of them are significant, meaning that they speak directly to who you are in Christ. This is what in Christ means. Everything that God did in Jesus, he did in me. I'll say that again. In Christ means everything that God did in Jesus, he did in me. Hidden with Christ, in, in Christ with God. Hidden in Christ. You are, your life is hidden with his life. So now, watch this. When you come into the kingdom, God doesn't see Jesus or God doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. You're hidden in Jesus. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Everything Jesus has, you can have. Everything Jesus is above, you're above. Anything Jesus has authority over, you have authority over. See, this is why I had to minister for two weeks on deception and another week on revelation, because this is not information. I'm not giving you information. Let me prove it to you. Ephesians chapter one. We're going to go there today. And if all it is, is just a, a, a message that gets out that we record that you can go back and listen to about a thousand times and that's fine. Just listen until you get it. Listen until you get it. You trying to brainwash me, pastor? Yes. Cleanse your mind with the water of the word. Yes, your brain is no good outside of God. Get it full of the word. Ephesians chapter one, verse 15. Now you gotta watch this connection. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, when? <laughs> when? After. After I heard of your faith. What's that mean? After I heard you got saved. After I heard you came into the kingdom. After I heard you made Jesus Lord of your life. After I heard you were born again. Whatever term you want to put on it. After I heard of your faith. That's probably the most adequate and correct way to say it. Uh, that I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Watch the connection. I heard that there's new believers in Ephesus. And I'm gonna write them and let them know, I'm proud of you. You've come into the kingdom. You've made the right choice. And now I'm praying for you. Paul is praying for the church. He's not praying for the world. This is Pastor Paul. This is a church that he planted, and he is praying for the newly converted saints in Ephesus. He's not in Ephesus. Most likely, he's in a jail cell. And he should be asking the church to be praying for him. And he says, I'm making mention of you in my prayers. That's pretty important. If Paul is praying for the church, I want to know what he's praying for the church. 
If he's praying for newly converted members of this church, newly converted members of the body of Christ, newly born again citizens of the kingdom of God, I want to know what Paul's praying. Is he praying that the devil keep his hands off them? Is he praying that they keep up with their church attendance? Uh, is he praying that, uh, you know, they, they be as good of people as possible uh, until they go home to be with them? I mean, what is he praying? What is, 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 what is he praying about these new disciples? I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, watch this, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In essence, you can put it this way. What I ministered on last week was Paul's number one prayer for new believers when they came into the kingdom. That they would no longer live subject to information that they would now live by revelation from the Spirit of God. What's he saying? You've been born again into this new kingdom, and you're not going to journey through this kingdom according to God's plan, just listening to information. I need this church. I need the body of Christ. I need members of the body. I need kingdom citizens to now yield themselves to a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, not natural understanding, because our eyes can comprehend natural understanding. He says, I need your spiritual eyes to gain spiritual understanding. You got to watch this now. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That means something belongs to you, and if you don't know about it, you can't access it. I mean, if somebody left you, uh, if you inherited a million dollars and you didn't know about it, you could be living under a bridge homeless, not even knowing what you have access to. That knowledge is the key. Not the money, not the inheritance. It's knowing what belongs to you. And, verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? It's his power, but watch this, toward us who believe. He's now put these new Christians in a category with himself. You need a spirit of wisdom and revelation to comprehend, with, with, to, to understand to know what belongs to you and the power that's available to you. What kind of power, Paul? According to the working of his mighty power. So just in case you were like, well, yeah, I got power, but just a little bit. He answers that question too. According to, equal to his mighty power. Well, I mean, you know, what, what, what kind of power was that? Verse 20. The power which he worked 
in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly. That's the kind of power that's available to you. The same power that raised Jesus out of the dead is available to you. Okay. Here's what else I need you to know. Far above, you've been raised up. He was raised up far above all. Everyone say all. Say it again. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He says, Jesus was raised far above. Man, when, when you get a recognition of far above, you'll, you'll go like this, you'll be like, man, Satan's way down there. He's not nipping at your heels. You're not one step ahead of the devil. Oh, there he is. Oh, I gotta keep going. Okay. And he's so far down, far above. Far above all principality. You know what that word all means? All. <laughs> all of it. COVID, all of it. Cancer, all of it. Sickness and disease, all of it. Bankruptcy, all of it. Divorce, all of it. All of it. All of it. You can't preach this stuff quiet. So if you don't, you, just, you can go in the foyer. Maybe they can turn the volume down out there or something. But. You do not preach this quiet. This would be like trying to coach my Little League kids team and says, all right, guys. Let, let's hit it real good. You can do it. All right, everybody in. Y'all want to play for my team? I don't think so. Now we're screaming our heads off in that circle. Fireballs on three, fireballs on three. One, two, three, fireball. And I mean, it's blowing it up. We're going crazy, man. I don't care if we lose or not. I want to see some, some vigor out of you. I want to see something come. Man, when you know, when you know you're a victor, hello. When you know you're a victor. And some of y'all still contemplate, am I a victor? All you got to do is move one letter around. Move the I in front of the am. I am a victor. All you got to do. It's that easy. The truth is easy. Deception's hard. You're going to rack your brain trying to undo everything God has already put in place for you. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And remember this, he's praying for you. Everything he just said, he's praying for you. He's saying, man, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Man, that's so awesome. You did it. You came in the kingdom, man. It's the greatest decision of your life. See you in heaven. I mean, if that were the case, they ought to just held us under the water who will be baptized us and just let us go on to glory. 
Hello? No, Paul says, all right, man, all right, listen, listen. Man, you did it. You came into the kingdom. Now set your sights. St. Paul wrote Colossians. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Don't, don't see things the way you've always seen them down here. There's so much more for you. Ah, you, you know what, you know what, you know what? I, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for you. That God will give you a spirit of wisdom, of revelation, because you, you're not gonna get this on the natural. I'm gonna preach this on a Sunday morning and Monday's gonna tell you, you you're not a child of God. Tuesday's gonna tell you that, that, that you, you're not far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Wednesday's gonna tell you you're not far above every name that is named. There's gonna be some names that are gonna pop up. And you're gonna need, I'm, I'm gonna pray for you that you will get the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But he's not done. If he stopped right there with his prayer, he'd be done. I'd say, man, I want that. Jesus did all that. Jesus has all that. Yeah, I believe Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, I believe Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion. I believe Jesus is far above every name that is named. I believe that, that, that he has subjected everything under his feet. Yes, amen, Pastor Paul. Yes, I, I received that. I, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And, 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 and Paul says, I'm not done. Because I didn't write the Bible in chapter and verse. That's just chapter one. That's just chapter one. You see why I point everyone to Ephesians? That's just chapter one. He's not done. After one comes two. Chapter two and verse one. The first two words of chapter two and verse one are what? What are the first two words of chapter two, verse one? So chapter one, verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, which all, but also that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, that's Jesus's feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I'm gonna ask you, do you believe that Jesus is far above all principality, power, might, and dominion? Do you believe that Jesus is above every name that is named? Do you believe that Jesus is above even the names that are yet to be mentioned? Do you believe that Jesus uh, has put all things under his feet? Do you believe that Jesus has been, been made the head of the church? I'm just reading from the Bible right now. Do you believe that Jesus is the fullness who, who, fills, who fills all in all? Okay. Jesus is complete. There's nothing left. We believe all that. And then we get to Ephesians chapter 2. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And he has, no, he has no problem reminding. Paul's still praying. In verse 14, he switched gears and he says, let me tell you what I'm praying for you. He's still going. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which 
You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of, our, of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. Stop right there. We have no problem reading those verses and relating. Oh, we easily relate to our past. Maybe even some of the things that were mentioned we're still currently dealing with. I'm in the kingdom, but man, I'm still trying to overcome this, still trying to overcome that. I'm, I'm moving forward. But we have no problem relating with we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Oh yeah, pastor, that, yeah, I remember those days. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Yeah, pastor, you know that? I still struggle with some things. And we're by nature children of wrath. Yeah, you know, I just, you know, I'm just worthy of God's judgment, just worthy of God's wrath. We have no problem relating to the past and to the present. Where do we get our past and our present? Information. But now watch where he goes. Verse four, but God. Come on, somebody shout at me, but God. Come on, shout at me, but God. Shout at me, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Watch this. Made us alive. Everyone say it together. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up. Everyone say it together and made us sit. Everyone say it together in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you, don't have to raise your hand, just thinking, easily related with verses two and three, but four, five, and six were a little harder to relate with. We come into the kingdom. I used to be, now I am. And information tells me I used to be, used to be, used to be. And I am, I am, I am. And then God starts speaking and he says, you will be, you will be, you will be, you will be, you will be. And we Keep identifying by the past and the present. And we have trouble getting over to made us alive together, raised to sit together, rule and reign together. So why? Why do I have an easier time believing what Paul wrote about what I used to do than I do about what Paul wrote of what I'm supposed to be. Spirit of wisdom and revelation 
in the knowledge of him. And he has no problem reminding you, this is where we came from. This is what we used to do. This is how we used to act. He has no problem. Y'all doing okay? There's two types of consciousness that we can live with when we come into the kingdom. The first type is the type you're already well aware of, and it's sin consciousness. Sin consciousness. The second type is Christ consciousness. There's sin consciousness. There's Christ consciousness. So, in the circles that we typically identify with, even our denominations are identity, aren't they? We get accused of just putting this optimistic spin on everything in life. We get accused for our value for confession and speaking the word, because that's what the word tells us. You can't even come into the kingdom without confessing with your mouth. You can believe in your heart all you want. You got to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. We get accused for when someone is sick, we immediately move into, well, let's, let's see them healed. We get accused for even if we're struggling with sin, we make statements like what I've just told you. You are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are now a believer. It's not even that one is right or wrong. It's just I choose to be more aware of heaven than I am of the world. It's a consciousness. And when you live out of a sin consciousness, you'll never feel enough. You'll never be validated. You'll never feel like an overcomer. You'll never walk in victory. You'll never talk like a victor. You'll never see those things take place. Do I still have trials and tribulations in my life? You better believe it. Does sickness still try to hit our home? Absolutely. We just had to miss a trip this past week because my youngest son is dealing with some stuff. Do we still have to, have to stand against things? You better believe it. Do, 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 do things still come against us? Of course they do. I'm not preaching to you some happy-go-lucky bed of roses life that we just keep our head and nose in the air all the time and, and deny and ignore every little thing that happens in the world. But I choose to keep my consciousness on my future rather than my past. So we look a little ridiculous. We look a little, how should I say, countercultural at times. And now it's gotten to a point that it's become even abrasive and hard for some people because we've adopted Christian terms like, well, you got to use wisdom, brother. It's a facade. And I'm seeing right through it by the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Not everybody. But there are some that will use a, got to use wisdom, brother, as a, as a reason to discredit my faith for standing and believing on what the promise of God says against all odds. 
Because the world wants to bring you down to information, and I'm choosing to live at revelation. And if you haven't gathered yet, I don't care what people say. And I don't care what people think. I just don't. You got to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. But typically those individuals that are using wisdom aren't operating with the same level of revelation that I have. Now, what I just read to you is what Paul prayed for the churches, spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Kenneth E. Hagin, Brother Hagin, when he was born, he was born with a deformed heart in 1911, I believe it was. His mother actually had a hole dug in the backyard to put him in. And just before she put him in that hole, he began to cry. So the doctor said, well, we'll do what we can, but I wouldn't expect him to live a few weeks. Well, he ended up living. But in his teenage years, because of this deformed heart and because the blood's not getting to his body, he ended up paralyzed on the bed of death in essence, the age of 16, nothing anybody could do for him. And he was just a little uh, a Baptist boy with the Methodist Bible, he said. Take, think about the confusion with that one. A Baptist boy with a Methodist Bible. And he just began reading the scripture. Had nothing else to do. Couldn't go anywhere. Doctors have given up. And he comes across Mark chapter 11, verse 22, 23, and 24. If you will speak to this mountain and declare it to be removed into, cast and removed into the sea, it shall be done for you. will have what you say. You will have what you say. Now, he hasn't listened to Brother Hagen tapes. He is Brother Hagen. He hasn't listened to any kind of healing evangelists or revivalists. He hasn't, there wasn't some guy that came through town. What he did is he took his Bible and he read it. He read the Bible. And he told God, he said, God, this is in your word. And if you can't do that for me, then I have to call you a liar. He's just having a conversation with God. He said, I'm doing what your word says. And this is what God responded back. He says, you are as far as you know. He said, there's more to know. And so he began studying. Age of 16, can't go anywhere. Well, you know what? By, by, he was in the word so much that eventually he said, I've just got to give action. He threw his legs over the side of the bed. He said it hit the floor when, when his legs hit the floor, when his feet hit the floor, it felt like a, a thousand pins just going through. But he, he, he started laughing and he loved it because he hadn't felt anything for years. That even the pain, even feeling the pain. And he never went back. The Lord healed him miraculously from that moment. Began preaching, began teaching, began traveling. He pastored several churches. Then he came across these verses in Ephesians. And he did a couple things that I'm going to help you with today. He came across these verses, and then he began seeing this 
continuation of in him, in whom, in Christ. See, Paul didn't, Paul's not telling us these things, and Paul didn't write in him, in whom, in Christ on accident or just casually. What's the best way I can do? He's not dealing with information now. He's dealing with revelation. This is Paul's revelation. It's called the Pauline revelation, and these are called the Pauline prayers. And he began praying for these uh, uh, new disciples, these new church members. He's now praying for them that they will have the same spirit of wisdom and revelation to see what he saw. So Brother Hagin circled, underlined, and highlighted every in Christ, in whom, and in him scripture he could find. Then step number two is he read them. Many times, more than once. Step number three is he began to confess them, say them with his mouth, speak them so much that he could regurgitate them without even having to look them up. And then step number four, he would pray this prayer in Ephesians chapter one. He said many times, it would end up being two or three times a day. I'd pray it every day and I put my name in the prayer, in the actual prayer. He said he did that for six months, already been pastoring for 12 years at this point. did that for six months. And he turned to his wife and he said, what have I been preaching all these years? He said, the revelation just started coming out like a flood. Revelation, revelation. Now I'm just giving you one man's account and that doesn't prove or disprove the scripture. I've already told you the word has the final say. But I'm telling you what will happen if you will choose to live with a desire for revelation and stop limiting yourself to information. That you will start seeing who you are and you'll start living out who you are. Your idea, everything I've said to this point on deception and truth and realities and, 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 and revelation and everything I've preached up to this point leads up to this moment right here. What will you do with it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you're not spending time here, and if you're not practicing the things that will engage your capacity to increase in revelation, then you're not going to. And you'll be limited to information. When the bank says you can't have it, you can't have it. When the doctor says you're gonna die, you're gonna die. When the friends leave you and says you're no good anymore, then you're, you're trash. When they don't like your stuff, you got nothing else to live for. But God's got another word. There's a revelation word that goes above and beyond any information this world could ever give you. And it could be a matter of life and death. I don't know. There's probably a good chance at some time in our lives we're going to face something that if I don't have the revelation of the word, Now, this is crazy. We have no problem believing. By, by one man's sin, we what? All sin. And by one man's 
sacrifice, we all receive an abundance of grace, right? You know what I'm talking about. Got enough believers in the house to know what I'm talking about. Basically, it's saying that we all got in this mess because of Adam. Now, why is it that I can believe that I'm a sinner because of Adam, but I have a hard time believing I'm a believer because of Jesus? I would ask you, was Adam's sin greater than Jesus's redemptive plan? I mean, are we, are we really there? Are we saying, well, you know, uh, 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 you know, we're all in this mess because Adam, if he wouldn't have blown, if those two wouldn't have eaten that fruit. We, had, we, we say the same, we, we joke about it all the time. But Jesus accessed the kingdom of heaven for you and made you everything that I just read, made you alive together with him, to sit together with him, to rule and reign together with him, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Everything that applies to Jesus applies to you. So if everything that applies to Adam applies to a sinner, then everything that applies to Jesus applies to a believer. And it shouldn't be any different. It shouldn't be any different. If Adam can get me in this mess, Jesus can surely get me out of this mess. Turn things around. Put my feet on solid ground. I'm tired of believers having a hard time identifying with their Christ consciousness. And it's all about what you make yourself aware of living below what God has planned for our lives. Worship team, would you come? I've got so much more to say. Let me just give you some verses. Let's just look at these. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, as they're coming. Just give me a pad. I don't, I don't need any instruments on top of that. I need to drive this home. Y'all with me? Y'all okay? I promise there'll still be food at the buffet. I promise. They won't take it all. But we're feeding your spirit. We're feeding your spirit. Let's wonder why we don't walk in this kind of revelation. We're waiting for the pastor to get done right at 12 o'clock. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, everyone say in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want to read this to you in the Passion Translation. It'll be on the screen behind me. Going to go quick, guys. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God, who always, say always, always leads us in triumph in Christ. If Christ triumphed over it, you and I triumph over it, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. The Passion Translation reads this way. God always makes his grace visible in Christ, who includes us as partners of his endless triumph. Through our yielded lives, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere we go. Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20. 
I'm just giving you a few. I have been crucified with Christ. What happened on the cross was for you. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Passion reads, my old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. I can't remember whose translation it is, but somebody wrote a translation that says, my old life is gone. And now this new life is Jesus coming into my body and using my body as his. It's literally a replacement. The Amplified reads it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. In him, I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, by adherence to, and reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The message reads this way. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified. There it is. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion and I am no longer driven uh, and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. heard someone say one time, you look a lot better in Christ. You look a lot better. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.